Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Last week was, the show was two or three days before Christmas. I had prepared as an opening topic, an American Christmas. The story of Christmas as we know it today, how it got to be like it is today, because it wasn't always the way it is today. But unfortunately, Blog Talk Radio, or the site for this show, had some technical difficulty. And you could see my picture but not hear me. And I could not even connect up to be heard, so there was no show. The story about an American Christmas, though, is sufficiently interesting, and it's only two days past Christmas today. Today's December 27th, so I'm going to start the show tonight with the Christmas story I was unable to tell last week. I hope, again, you will enjoy it. Christmas, as we know it today, has not always been such. Uh... It didn't always exist the way it is today. Shockingly, it did not exist as it is today. You have to understand, you have to recall that Christmas began thousands of years, centuries before the birth of Christ. It was a pagan event. They honored trees. Trees were God. Remember the story of the Druids. They danced around the trees, uh, which subsequently became Christmas trees in our home centuries later. Uh, they They hung things on the trees, which become the balls and lights of today. Uh, but it was also a party, like a five-day party or a week-long party. It was an orgy. Sex was big time. Intoxication was big time. Human sacrifice was big time. The mistletoe that we kiss under is a poison, and it was given to those to help kill them who were going to be sacrificed during the party. This party was called Saturnalia, and it's the precursor of Christmas. And you've got to keep this in mind that such existed. I'm not going to take you through all that history because I want to start when we were on the American shores here, which means we start with the Puritans. That's another story that comes before the Puritans, the brief synopsis I just gave you. Maybe next year we'll do that part. But right now I want to limit this to uh, Christmas in America. We start with the Puritans, those hardy immigrants from England to the shores of Massachusetts, those who gave us Thanksgiving. Well, Christmas they did not give us. In fact, they took Christmas away from us. The earliest Scrooges of record. From 1659 to 1681, Christmas was outlawed in Boston by the Puritans. They believed that Christmas was not consistent with their Puritan ideas and religious reforms. So they abolished Christmas, just like that. The Puritan, I'm sorry, the Puritans were descended from the Reformation. Remember, Europe, England. Certain Protestant groups opposed Christmas celebrations. 
They firmly believed the holiday was rooted in paganism, as it was based on the brief uh, introduction I gave you. Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas in England. Christmas remained a no-no through the American Revolution. The English influence in the colonies prevailed. Christmas could not gain a foothold. A few years after the Revolution, the colonists, rid of English influence, started celebrating Christmas. But it was not Christmas again as we know it. The early 1800s found Christmas being celebrated in a bit of a rowdy fashion, much like Mardi Gras and Fantasy Fest. Then came a couple of books which influenced the situation. There were three writings in the first 50 years of the 19th century, in the 1800s. The first was by Washington Irving. In 1809, you know, Washington Irving wrote Rip Van Winkle, uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and he wrote a book over a period of several years where essays and short stories went into it. It was called The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Cooper. Okay, and in that uh, in that book, he portrayed Christmas as a peaceful, loving holiday. And many attribute Irving's novel as setting the mood for present-day Christmas. He wrote three stories in there, uh, and it was published on January 1, 1820, the three stories. One was Christmas Eve, another Christmas Day, and another Christmas dinner. And his mind, his mind conceived of a Christmas somewhat like we have today, a Christmas that did not exist before he wrote the sketchbook of Jeffrey Cooper. Uh, Then came A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Remember Scrooge, Marley's Ghost, and Crippled Tim Cratchit, Tiny Tim, How Our Hearts Bled for Tiny Tim? Well, The book, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, captured the American imagination and gave us a lot of the things that we use to celebrate Christmas with today. Now, there was also a a third writing. It was a poem, okay? And we all know it. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore. This was a biggie. This was a biggie that helped establish get Christmas as we know it today on the road. Okay, we talk about Santa Claus, the the fireplace, the chimney, the the Christmas tree in the house, the stockings by the fireplace, Saint Nicholas, the reindeer, and all that sort of thing. All right, now we come to during the 1800s. We're going to get into the states now. Several southern states legalized December 25th as Christmas Day as a holiday. The first was Alabama in 1836. The South continued to favor and celebrate Christmas up to the time of the Civil War, whereas the North basically paid little attention to the day. Christmas had become a Southern thing. The North did not believe in Santa Claus. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Now comes the Civil War. Lincoln wanted to demoralize the Confederate troops. He wanted to show that the South Santa Claus was on the side of the North. He authorized a famous artist late in 1862 to do a drawing of Santa Claus watching over Union troops. The picture was on the front on January 3, 1863 of a prominent national magazine. 
it was sort of God is on our side, and some believe it achieved Lincoln's desired effect. President Ulysses Grant is given credit for making Christmas a national holiday. I question the accuracy of that representation. In 1870, Grant signed a bill into law regarding Christmas Day. The new law read that Christmas, and I quote, shall be a holiday within the District of Columbia. The District of Columbia is not the whole of the United States. However, Grant is usually given credit for making Christmas a national holiday by that act. There was a combination, though, of state approval for Christmas, December 25th, as a national holiday. The last state to legalize Christmas as a legal holiday was Oklahoma in 1907. So I think it's a combination between Grant signing the bill into law making the District of Columbia uh, recognize December 25th, Christmas Day, a holiday, and the states all finally uh, passing legislation to legalize the day within their states. Christmas Day received a further boost by the 1897 editorial in the Sun of New York. We all know it. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Christmas was practiced and recognized as a holiday through World War II. For whatever reason, it received its most gigantic step forward recognition-wise and celebration-wise following World War II. Everyone got into the act after the war, maybe because people were happy and grateful to have one. That is the story of Christmas in America, from the Puritans in the mid to the late 1600s to present day. Next year, I'll give you the wild stuff that became, that came and was, happened, occurred, how Christmas was played out and before the birth of Christ, after the birth of Christ, how the church got involved in this thing and so forth. And so enough for Christmas for this year. Now we move on to something I've been talking about and writing about for at least six months, maybe more. Uh, And it's robots and artificial intelligence. Uh, When you first hear about robots taking over the jobs of people and artificial intelligence, eliminating uh, as many working positions as are required, you say, oh, my God, who's who's going to – what are we going to do to replace those jobs? Where where are the new jobs going to come from? More and more people are are going to be out of work. I was very unhappy that during the campaign for president, neither candidate spoke about the fact that robots and artificial intelligence are taking over the working place. No one seems to be concerned about the jobs that are going to be lost, and where are those people going to to work? We're going to have more and more people by the millions out of work. No joking matter. So I've been studying this. I've been reading about this. And I was I was of the impression that we're going to lose jobs big time and they're never going to be replaced. Because one thing I've learned in my long life now of 81 years is that if a business moves away, everyone hopes, everyone believes it's going to come back. It never comes back. Think about it. It never comes back. So you have to prepare. Uh, now, There are examples where automation, robots, 
artificial intelligence has come into play and in the end created more jobs. And the perfect example is with ATM machines. Now, ATM machines, and this goes back to the 1970s, uh, did away with a lot of jobs initially. Think about it. That you needed fewer tellers, fewer tellers, and this eliminated a ton of jobs. It also meant that branches, bank branches, could be smaller because they had people had a machine to get money out of. They didn't have to go stand in line and have some woman there, you know, giving you ten dollars or a hundred dollars withdrawal from your account. The banks found that since the banks were smaller, the branches, because they were to hold fewer employees, it was cheaper to build them. So the banks opened a ton of branches, and do you know what? Today, because of all those branches, even though there were ATM machines, smaller branches, cheaper to open, there are more employees as tellers in banks than there were in 1970. There is a significant increase in employment with tellers in banks. It didn't go the other way. Think about it. Again, I repeat, it's a common belief that robots and artificial intelligence will render many people permanently unemployed. Some economists and an increasing number are saying, and scientists, that you've got to look for is jobs that evolve with the change. The change to the robot, to the artificial intelligence, creates other jobs. And you must look, you must study, you must be aware of what is going to evolve from this change and train your people to adapt to that change and get those jobs, seek out those jobs. Uh, So the real problem, and I'm beginning to think this way, is not that mass unemployment results, what should result, and I'm hoping will, is called transitioning again. People go from one job to another, and they're trained for it. Now, you have to devote money to do this, government money. The United States does not devote sufficient resources to cushioning and replacing displaced workers. Other, some other nations do, though. And here I'm going to blow you out with this one. Denmark saw the problem coming. And what did Denmark do? Denmark presently uses 25% of its tax dollars, its tax revenue, to retrain and transition uh, workers from one job to another where a robot or artificial intelligence has has, uh, taken away their, their initial job. There's another job that develops from that somehow, and they study it, and they learn what it's going to be, and they use government funding to train the people to adapt to the new jobs. And we've got to start thinking this way. We don't, Uh, because we we think about a problem when it's on top of us. We don't think about a problem six months in advance, a year in advance, or ten years in advance. We wait till disaster befalls us, and it's the wrong way to run government. Now, we had, uh, let's see, what was it, Carrier? Trump saved jobs with Carrier. He saved 800, 1,100 jobs. Very big, very impressive. I said when he was elected, because I was against him, and I still don't think he's going to help this country that much, if at all, in the end. I said I would not speak negative 
negatively of him. He is my president. He is our president. We must give him an opportunity. We must support him because he's our president. We want him to succeed because if he doesn't, we get hurt. And so I, I, my lips have been shut. I don't think I've said two words about Trump up until tonight. Okay, but I've, I've got to talk about something here. He took care of Carrier. It was supposed to be a big deal. I don't know if it was. $15, $16 million was paid to Carrier by the state, and it was supposed to be 1,100 jobs. Turns out it was 800 jobs, and there's going to be more people unemployed before the next year is out. General Motors announced 10 days ago, General Motors, that it is temporarily closing five of its factories, temporarily closing five factories here in the United States. Here's what's happened. The public's taste for motor vehicles has gone from the automobile to SUVs and trucks. Now, General Motors should know where the trend is within its own industry. They should have seen this coming. All of the automakers should have seen this coming. The people were buying more and more trucks and SUVs and fewer and fewer cars. But General Motors did not see this coming, did not anticipate it, did not prepare for it. So what you have today is dealer lots full of cars that aren't selling. (laughs) And General Motors, if they keep making these automobiles, the lots aren't going to be big enough to hold these cars. So General Motors had to do something. Uh, Because the growing inventory that doesn't get sold does neither General Motors nor the dealer any good. So this isn't a big closing, but it's a closing. General Motors is going to close uh, very shortly into the new year for only one to three weeks, okay? Each of the five factories, one to three weeks, in hopes of balancing the situation. Have you heard about this? No. Very few have. I'll be surprised if you have. I'm sure most of you have not heard of this. But what comes up now, General Motors has also announced it's going to lay off 1,300 of its employees in March. Now, that's something we should have heard about, because if Trump could save us 1,100 jobs, 800 jobs with Carrier, and prevent them from going to another country, et cetera, et cetera, it's easy to save, I hope, 1,300 jobs that aren't going to move any place. The people are just going to be out of work, Okay. Uh, So let's see what happens. I want to talk about the Electoral College briefly here. Um, A week ago it was on the tip of everybody's tongue because we had the Electoral College vote. Let me tell you something. Our founding fathers, we think of as persons who thought democracy, uh, helped the people, freedom from tyranny, and all this sort of thing. If you read your history, you're going to find it wasn't that they were so democratic in mind. Uh, They were trying to save their asses economically. The American Revolution, I'm serious, folks, was motivated by money, economics, greed. They wanted to keep what they had. Look at slaves. Slaves were money back then. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, they all owned slaves. That was money. And there was a concern. There was a concern uh, 
that a proper person, quote unquote, would not be elected president. They, what our founding fathers wanted was a buffer between the popular vote and the type of person elected. You see, again, our founding fathers did not trust democracy. They feared, they feared a charismatic tyrant. Like those words, I didn't make them up. That's what's in the history books. A charismatic tyrant, okay, uh, could manipulate public opinion, thereby by coming to power, okay? Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers said an election, a group, they needed electors, rather, a group of people who would ensure a qualified person. That's the verbiage in the federal papers. Not, you know, the, the, the gunsmith or the, 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 the blacksmith or the guy running the little shop, if he were elected president. No, they had to have one of theirs, a moneyed person, a qualified person to become president. So they set up this electoral college to vote six weeks or four weeks after the regular election so that if the people screwed up and voted into power the wrong guy, they, the right people, who had run themselves as members of the electoral college, could vote against that person and enter anyone's name that they wanted to. That's how it was back then, because they didn't trust the people. Uh, we got to get rid of the Electoral College. We don't need it today. Its use is gone. Uh, I think the millionaires in this country would like to have something where they control everything, as they're presently doing, and they want it even more. But get rid of it. The popular vote should control. It's supposed to be one vote per person in this country. It doesn't exist with an Electoral College. It is a disgrace, and I'm not saying this because I supported Hillary Clinton, but she gets 2.8 million votes more than uh, Trump, and he's president. He's president by the rules. Can't knock it because we have the Electoral College. But the worth, the goodness of the Electoral College, long ago dissipated. It's gone, and we should remove it, and it's in the process of being removed. It does not require a constitutional uh, change. It can be done by the states themselves, and I believe something like 20 states have already, in the last year, have already uh, voted to get rid of the Electoral College. And I don't know what the number is out of the 52 states we have, whether it's a majority uh, or it's two-thirds. I know it isn't the full 52 or anything close to it. I sense that within the next 10 or 12 years there will be no Electoral College, and no one is going to lose anything thereby. Not one person in this country, not one citizen, will lose any power or anything else by getting rid of this antiquated, archaic uh, entity. I want to talk briefly about Donald Trump. I, I swear I try to be nice, and I'm going to be nice, but I've got to say this. He's not president yet. Why the hell is he going out and doing what he's doing? Talking to the president of Taiwan, uh, talking to this one and that one, doing what he's doing with Israel. Can he wait? He's going to be president in, what, three weeks, something like that, three and a half weeks? I do not recall, and I'm old again, I'm 81, any president-elect making the public declarations and doing things as Trump has been doing when he still has not 
taken the oath of office for the job. Obama's our president, not Trump. Come January 20th, it's Trump. Then he can do anything he wants. In the meantime, things are still happening in this world. And this guy's going to get us in trouble, I'm afraid. And then will Obama have the power to do what he has to do? I don't know. I'm fearful. It may be a radical fear, but I'm fearful. Something's going to get screwed up. I'm very much afraid. He's not president. He should keep his mouth shut and not play president until he is president. Then he can go out and do whatever he wants if it's approved by Congress, the people, and the courts, and everything else. He's got the mandate. I won't argue it. History repeats itself. I fear this. I, I, I believe in history. I was a history major. History does repeat itself. Recall, in 1914, Archduke Ferdinand, Austria's Archduke Ferdinand, was shot and killed in Sarajevo, June 1914. Within one month, World War I started, and historians agree universally that the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand caused World War I to begin. Now, the Russian ambassador about two weeks ago to Turkey was shot and killed in Turkey. He was assassinated by an off-duty Turkish police officer. And I'm just worried that something like this, because we have these assassinations more and more now, something like this could trigger a World War III. Don't think I'm nuts. Think about it. It takes something stupid like this. It isn't going to be someone dropping a nuclear bomb someplace or missile that's going to cause the war. It's going to be some minor thing. And this isn't minor, the Russian ambassador being assassinated. But on a comparative basis with a nuclear weapon, it is. And that's what's going to start a worldwide conflict. China. China's a power. They want to be recognized as a power. They were a second-rate country. Even during World War II, we had to save their asses for them. Uh, but they're not anymore. They got taken over by Mao Zedong late in the 1940s. The communist state's done well out there, and they're killing us economically, not only us, but worldwide. Uh, they're defeating us economically. We owe them money. We owe them over a trillion dollars. Every time we need money, we go to China to borrow it. China can afford to give it to us. Whenever they need money, they print it. We want money, they print some money for us. They don't care, care about inflation, et cetera, over in China. The government rules the roost. Okay, the submarine drone was stolen. We had the submarine drone, this uh, thing that goes under the water to study what the subs are doing. And we were over in the South China Sea. We're in our own waters, not our waters, international waters. They claim we weren't. This is the kind of games they play. We probably play them, play them too. But they stole one of our drones in front of us, sent a boat out to pick it up and take it to their ship. These things aren't big, by the way. And uh, big furor. And Obama said, we'll take care of it. And I think they stole it on a, took it on a Tuesday, misappropriated is the better word, and it was back in our hands on a Monday. In the meantime, I... I can see what would have happened. i got to talk about Trump again. Trump thought it was terrible. Recall he was on TV. How can they treat us like this? We're the United States of America. I fear, and I'm serious, that Trump, under the right circumstances, would have gone out and had our bombers or one of our ships blow the destroyer out of the world water 
that took the drone, stole our drone, the Chinese destroyer. I worry about this guy. Okay. Ho, ho, ho. Oh. Let me tell you this. I think banks are whores. You'll agree with me. But as bad as the banks are, perhaps even worse are the pharmacy houses, the pharmaceutical houses. And the government does diddly dip. They don't chase their asses. And if you need a lot of drugs and you get older, you do. You're going to find it's a screw job. There's something called the donut. It's the worst thing in the world. I'm not going to explain it if you don't understand it. But the government's starting to do a few things. Six generic drug companies, cheap pills, generics, baloney. Let me tell you, I got some I'm paying a lot of money for. Had been sued by the federal government, and, uh, by 20 states rather, not the federal government, last Thursday for price fixing with regard to two drugs, doxycline, hyclate, and glyburide. Uh, what they did was they broke antitrust laws. They, the leaders of these companies, these six companies, sat down together at an industry dinner, quote-unquote, uh, to decide to fix the price, and all of them would profit. And they also had communications in, on email and in writing. They destroyed all those before they were sued. Generics happened to be 80% of our prescriptions that are filled in this country, and so the government's going after them. And the government recently arrested six drug officials from a company uh, for paying doctors, bribing doctors nationwide to prescript, to write prescriptions for a certain drug paying selling bill. That, my friends, is the show for this week. A little Santa Claus, a little Christmas, and a little of everything else here. I hope you enjoyed the show. I enjoy sitting here and sharing my thoughts with you. The show is archived. Most of you read it on Block Talk Radio, YouTube, and it's linked to my Key West Lou website. Uh, I write a blog every morning. Please read it, keywestlou.com, which is interesting, funny, and sometimes serious, rarely serious. And in the meantime, I wish each and every one of you a happy new year. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.